Welcome to the podcast of Vineyard Church Cardiff. We are a multi-site church longing for God's kingdom to come in order to restore the city and renew the nation of Wales. During the coronavirus outbreak, we are not meeting on a Sunday, but you can stay connected with us on YouTube, Facebook and Instagram. Just search for Vineyard Church Cardiff. Each Sunday, we will be streaming a full-length service and providing resources for the kids. And across the week, we're putting up loads of content. You can find out more on our social media or at cardiffvineyard.org forward slash online church. Here's this week's talk from me, one of Central Site Pastors, Paul Crutchley. So today, we are starting a new series in the run-up to Easter. We're going to be, oh, a little bit of excitement, Okay. Hopefully there'll, hopefully, yeah, hopefully there'll be more excitement by the end of it. We'll see. Uh, we are going to be in the Gospel of John, and we're going to look at Jesus' teaching from the night before he was crucified over the following weeks. So if you've got your Bibles, open, the, open them up to the Gospel of John. If you're new to Christianity, the Gospel of John is, is one of four Gospels, which are just the accounts of Jesus' life that we find in the New Testament. And this one, John, it was written a few decades after Jesus died, and it was written by John, unsurprisingly, who was one of Jesus' original 12 disciples. We're going to be in chapter 13 today, so open up to there. If you don't have your Bibles with you, don't worry, the verses will come up behind me so you can follow along. Uh, but we're going to read um, from verse 1, and this is a passage that many of us will be familiar with, will have heard the story over, um, over the course of time if we've been around in church. And it's of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. So let's read it together from verse 1. <clears throat> it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. And let me just paraphrase the next few verses. What happens next is that Jesus gets off, he takes, um, take, sorry, gets up, he takes off his outer garments, which in and of itself was an inappropriate thing to do, and he goes around and begins to wash the disciples' feet. And he gets to Simon Peter, and if you're, if you're used to the Gospels, if you've read them, you'll, you'll know that Simon Peter is often the spokesperson for the disciples. And, and Simon Peter is just like, no way, Jesus, I am not going to let you wash my feet. He's, he's in disbelief that his Lord and his rabbi would do the role that a servant would do. And so he and Jesus have this little back and forth, and Jesus is just like, mate, you don't see what's going on yet. I have to wash your feet. And Peter comes around to the idea and he's like, okay, well, Jesus, if you have to wash my feet, wash all of me. And Jesus is like, well, actually, Peter, only feet washing is on offer tonight, mate. If you had a bath this morning, you should probably be okay. And then we pick up again in verse 12. When he, Jesus, had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, And rightly say, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example for you. You should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. The Gospel of John is commonly broken down into four sections. An introduction, just a short introduction right at the beginning, and then an account of Jesus' ministry, 
And then the account of Jesus' final night, his death and resurrection, and then an epilogue right at the end. And John 13 begins section 3. It's the night before Jesus' crucifixion, and he has gathered his disciples to eat together. And we see in verse 1 an interesting thing. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Jesus knew he was about to die. And what proceeds in the following chapters is what he chose to say to his disciples, what he chose to do with his closest friends in his last hours. And over the next few weeks leading up to Easter, we're going to unpack those teachings. Now, I don't know uh, about you, is that if that's a, something you've ever thought about, what you'd want your last words to be. Now, not to be too morbid, but if today was your last day, and obviously, hopefully, it's not, what would you want to say to your friends and family? What would you want them to know? <clears throat> now, many of us don't get to know when our time will come, but here Jesus does. And the teachings we're going to look at are the ones he wanted his disciples to hear. Now, I'm not saying they're his most important teachings, but I think it's fascinating that these are the things Jesus chose to say when he knew death was not far away. And in the rest of chapter 13 that we've read, we find the first of them, washing the disciples' feet. If you've been around church for any length of time, you'll have probably heard this story. You may have even had your feet washed. We've done it uh, at our church occasionally in the past on our Monday, Thursday gatherings. And it can be quite a holy and almost an intimate experience. But that's not what it was back in first century Middle Eastern culture. Washing someone's feet wasn't intimate. It wasn't holy. It was one of the lowest tasks a slave would perform. It was said in Jewish culture that a disciple would serve their rabbi in any way except when it came to their feet. Feet were off limits, out of the scope of expectation of a disciple. And some of you are like, yeah, I get that. Freak, feet freak you out. <laughs> so this act that Jesus is performing is one of the most menial tasks. It's akin to cleaning the toilets or taking the food bin out. We've all been there, haven't we? When we've let it go for slightly too long <laughs> and you take it out and suddenly you have a dripping food bin. All that nasty juice. I say we've all been there. My wife Claire hasn't because apparently when you get married, the bins become a husband's job. <laughs> yeah, a big yes from Alice Meads. If you're a husband here and your wife takes the bin out, can you come and pray for me afterwards? <laughs> no, you know what? I, I joke. I joke because I, as Claire likes to remind me, I think, I'm pretty sure in my speech on our wedding day, I did promise to always take the bins out, but I, just, I didn't realize I would actually have to. Anyway, <laughs> sorry, love. Anyway, anyway, moving on very quickly. Jesus performs this menial task, a task that was meant for slaves. And then he gets up, he finishes, and he asks the disciples this in verse 12. Do you understand what I have done for you? And then he continues. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. <clears throat> now, Jesus isn't saying to the disciples, hey, guys, sack the maid, get rid of the servant, wash each other's feet and save yourself some dollar. He's not saying that at all. He's saying our heart posture, our attitude should be one where we are willing to do the most menial of tasks, willing to take on the role of a slave to serve those around us. 
he says to them, I have set you this example and you should do likewise. Here is God in flesh, the creator of the universe, the savior of humanity. And he's with his disciples and he says, this is the example I want you to get. Become like a slave in order to serve those around you. He's saying to them, do you understand that following my example isn't just about proclaiming the gospel and praying for the sick and seeing them healed. It's understanding that the created order, the way I made this world to be is different to the way your society says it should be. Do you understand that what I'm doing here is way more than washing feet? It's showing you a way to live. See, Jesus is saying to them, your society says, progress, move upward, get to the point of being served, get to the point where you are too important for some tasks. And then Jesus is saying, but my way, the kingdom way is different. It's the way where you never become so important that there's a task you can't do. You never become so important that you can't serve at the lowest level. And this is revolutionary. See, over the course of history, there have been people who have claimed to be God. Many of them. But none of them are willing to serve as a slave. And there have been countless people who have served their socks off, who have given their lives for the benefits of others, but they know that they're not God. And Jesus is remarkable because he says to the disciples, look, you guys are right, you know that I'm Lord, you know that I'm God, yet I am still willing to humble myself and serve you in the role of a slave. This is the upside down nature of the kingdom of God. There's a beautiful passage of scripture that I was reminded of as I was preparing this in Philippians 2. Philippians is a book that the Apostle Paul wrote. It's a letter he wrote to the church in Philippi. And in chapter 2, it's not, but it almost feels like it's an expansion of this point. And I just want to read a few verses from it, starting in verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by, by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross." Sorry, that was a bit noisy, wasn't it? Have the same mindset as Jesus. Follow the example Jesus set. He being in very nature God, still humbled himself and took on the nature of a servant. This is the crux of discipleship. Following Jesus' example. And I love that at the heart of it, that is what discipleship is about. Because what it does is creates an environment, creates a space where actually we don't have to know everything as we begin following Jesus. We don't have to always get it right. It creates space to, to say that we're going to have to practice this. You know, think about a carpenter, an electrician, or any kind of tradesman. They would have an apprentice, someone who is learning the skills of their trade. Let's say it's a carpenter. You know, they would have someone who they would begin to show how to do the work, but not just the work, everything around it, how to clean their tools, how to prepare their workspaces. And as that apprentice begins working with the carpenter, you know they're going to make a hash of the things they're doing. Like They're going to maybe try and build a wardrobe or build a coffee table or fix a door, and they're just going to mess it up because they're learning. But over time, as that 
as the carpenter shows them how to do things, as they practice, as they follow the example set to them, it becomes second nature to be a master craftsman with working with wood. And that's the same with us in discipleship to Jesus. Over time, we develop the skills, we develop the muscles, we develop the heart attitude until following Jesus' example becomes second nature to us. But it doesn't necessarily start like that in us. Sometimes it starts and it's really messy. Sometimes it starts and it's a real choice. The heart attitude that John 13 is dealing with, the heart attitude that Jesus chooses to address when he knows he's only got hours yet left to live, is about service. He's making it clear to his disciples the kingdom of God is different to the way of the world. We are to become like servants to serve those around us. So how are you doing with that? How easy do you find it to serve? Enneagram type twos in the room are like, yeah, that's me, that's me. The rest of us might be like, oh, I didn't quite know. For some of us, it will really hit our personality. Maybe... it's that we are real independent people. And actually, we don't want to serve people because we wouldn't want to be served ourselves. Because we wouldn't want to admit that we need people. We wouldn't want to admit that we need their help. We're just like, I'm an independent person. And say, I don't want to be served, so that means I shouldn't serve. Maybe that's us in the room. Maybe for some of us, it's our feeling of self-importance. You know, the society we live in and all the the philosophy of individualism fills us and and just fills us with this, this belief that we are really, 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 really important. And then you read verse 16, and Jesus says, Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one he sent him. And it hits our self importance. I had a moment um, when my self-importance was hit about a month ago. I was in a coffee shop that will, uh, will remain nameless. And it was busy, really busy. And the staff were clearly working hard, but it was kind of obvious there was stuff they couldn't get to. And I went into the bathroom. And let's just say, like, it wasn't the worst thing I've ever seen, but let's just say it wasn't pleasant. You know, there were some stains where maybe there shouldn't be some stains. And there was some stuff on the floor where someone's aim clearly wasn't as good as they maybe hoped. And it's like, okay, cool, this is a bit grim. And in that moment, I felt... The Lord just be like, well, would you clean it? And you know what? In that moment, my response was no. I honestly, I was there being like, no. Literally, someone gets paid to do this job. Like, I don't want to, I've got places to be. I do not want to clean this toilet. And I'd like to say (laughs) that in that moment, I was convicted and I still did. I I didn't. I walked out. In that moment, my self-importance won. And I had that moment. And you know, I, I forgot about it really as soon as I walked out until I was writing this preach. And then the Lord reminded me of it. I was just like, oh, I've really got to repent. Oh, Lord, I'm sorry. Because in that moment, this menial task was below me. This task that I thought, well, there's someone else whose job it actually is, made me think that I was too important to do it. And the problem is, is that I look at Jesus, who humbled himself and served in the most menial of ways, when most likely the slave whose job it was to wash feet was in the room or was nearby. So the person whose task it was to do this job was nearby and Jesus still said, hey, I'm going to do it. And if he, the creator of the universe, the savior of humanity was willing to humble himself and do it, well, who was I to say that I wouldn't? Oh, Preaching is painful sometimes. 
you know, whether we find it easy or not, this is the reality of following Jesus, that we are called to become like servants. In this passage is what I, we find what I call the compelling tension of Christianity. How did this passage start? Remember in verse 1. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus loved them to the end. These disciples are loved deeply by Jesus. They're important to him. They're his people. They're his, his gang, his group of closest friends. And I love the idea that John is sitting here many years later, writing this down with a smile on his face, remembering how Jesus loved him. Remembering the way that Jesus treated him and the other disciples. Remembering the way he spoke to them, he taught them, he hung out with them. You know, John throughout this gospel refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. I love that kind of confidence. Just like, check, I know how much I'm loved. And so we find here that these disciples whom Jesus deeply loves, who he thinks is so important, are being told to take on the nature of a servant. And this is the compelling tension of Christianity, that you are more loved than you can ever imagine. God's heart is so for you, but you are also spare change in his pocket to be spent how he chooses. We're spare change in his pocket. That's a phrase a guy called John Wimber who founded the first vineyard churches used to say. And I remember hearing it for the first time and just being like, no, this doesn't sit well with me. Because I was like, no, we're more important than that. We have so much more worth and value. And, And really what was happening was I was leaning heavily on the Jesus loved them to the end side of things. And I was like, but that's the truth. We're just really important in God's eyes. And I was ignoring the fact that we're called to become servants. I wasn't realizing that in the kingdom of God, it's the both and. It's both that we are loved deeply and that we are called to lay down all of our lives and be used however the Lord would please. It's about the created order. It's about the fact that loved children of God know the great price at which they have been bought and then are willing to do whatever their father asks of them. Loved children of God are willing to serve wherever there is a need. Do we understand that? Do we get that? Who here has seen Princess Bride? Yes, yes. For those of you who haven't seen it, it's one of those movies that everyone who saw it as a kid is like, it's a great movie. If you watch it as an adult, it's it's not so good. But it's great. And, And in it, there's this moment where, oh no, I've totally forgotten the main character's names. Where the guy, he's just enamored by the, the woman. Oh, help me out, HT, what are the names? As you wish. Oh, yes, there we go. Great. Yes, Naomi, great princess pride knowledge. But Wesley is there. And did you say Buttercup? Oh, great. Cool, wonderful. This is not how I remember the movie. But Wesley is there. And, and he, is, he, is, he is enamored by this, this lady, Buttercup. And anything she asks him, he's just like, as you wish. As you wish. And there's this great scene where he's like falling down the side of a hill and she's told him to get, and he's just like, as you wish. It's like, whatever you ask of me, I'll do. Because I'm so in love with you. And that should be our heart posture. That we are so in love with Jesus that anything he asks of us, we'd be like, we'll do. That we, we would think ourselves just a spare change. That he says, hey, will you go do that? Go be, go be spent over there. You're like, of course. As you wish, my Lord. Now, there's leadership wisdom 
that will tell you, sell the vision, cast the vision, don't really talk about the need, go after the vision, and then people will serve it. Then people will get excited, there'll be momentum behind it, and they'll get on board. And, and there's, there's some great truth in that, some great wisdom and great practice in that, and we would utilize that at times. But you know what, I think the servant heart nature that Jesus is talking about in this passage isn't really a vision issue, it's a discipleship issue. We don't serve because we have a huge vision for the need. We don't serve because we want to look good or have something to boast in. We don't serve because it's the next cool thing on Instagram. We serve because Jesus has asked us to. We don't even serve because it's good for us, even though it is. And as the Apostle Paul um, quotes Jesus as teaching in Acts 20 verse 35, it is more blessed to give than receive. That is the reality. That often when we actually turn up and when we're feeling kind of introspective and, and withdrawn and just and low and in ourselves, actually sometimes the best thing we can do is get up and go and serve. And we find it is more blessed to give in that moment than receive. But that's not why we do it. We do it out of obedience to our king. It's serving in the hidden, the unglamorous moments. Not because it's a way to become noticed, but because Jesus asks us. We're doing something profoundly holy in that moment. We're imitating God himself. We're taking on the very nature of him, this compelling Jesus who was both servant and king. We are spare change to be spent wherever there is a need. So how do we grow a servant heart? How do we develop this attitude and follow Jesus' example? Well, it's by actually spending ourselves. Verse 17 brings a strong challenge, I think, especially for our generation. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. It's almost like Jesus knew that 2,000 years later, many of us would still like to fill our minds with the right ideas without living them out. I have a friend who knows all about healthy living. He knows all about the latest fad diets. He knows all about great exercises. Yet he is still significantly overweight because he never does the stuff he knows. And honestly, I have the same conversation with him time and time again where he's talking about, oh, this next diet he should try and this next kind of gym he should join. But he never does it. And so he still hasn't got healthy. How many of us are like that? We know the stuff, but we don't do the stuff. We know the theory. We love the theory. We're like, yes, Jesus is a servant and a king, but we don't humble ourselves to serve. So what does it look like for us to do the stuff? What does it look like to be people who don't just know about it, but do it as well? Well, I think that serving is about bringing life to the environments we are in. It's about following Jesus' example in every area of our life, in every moment. Alan Scott, who's a vineyard pastor, who used to live in Northern Ireland and is now suffering for the kingdom in California, puts it like this. <laughs> We're called to wash the feet of the city. Love that image. We're called to wash the feet of the city. We're called to look out and see the brokenness, see the need and go, yes, we will go and meet it. Our city needs its feet washed. 
whether it's the rampant loneliness we see in our society or money issues or homelessness or child poverty or drug and alcohol addictions or the mental health crisis, I could go on and on and on. Our city is broken, is broken and is in desperate need of its feet being washed. But how about the more personal? How about your neighbor, your colleague, your work friend? Maybe we need to humble ourselves and serve them. Where do you see the need? What would it look like for you to have a servant-hearted attitude in every area of your life? What would it look like for you to humble yourself and be willing to do some of the menial, unglamorous stuff in order to serve the people around you and bring them life? What would it be to offer to babysit for your neighbor who's struggling for childcare? What would it be to offer to do the shopping for someone? What would it be to take the bins out in your house? I remember when I was at uni, right, it just seemed like it was a competition to see how full you could get the bin and who could be the last one to take it out. What? Why? Well, it's because I was like a 19-year-old boy living in a house of boys. That's why. But it's just this silly thing. This tiny task of taking out the bins. And it was this injustice of like, well, they haven't taken out the bins. It's like, well, okay. I don't think Jesus is saying, hey, serve those people so they serve you back. He's just saying, serve them to bring them life. Serve them to show them how important they are. Serve them to show them my love. Who really cares if they don't take the bins out? It's not that big a deal. I now have to take the bins out all the time, and it is totally fine. I know it might not sound like it, but it is now totally fine. This passage is about the issue of servant-heartedness and following Jesus' example. And like that idea of being an apprentice craftsman, it's, it's a skill we develop serving. And some of us will begin this journey really getting it, and it just naturally comes to us. And others of us will find it really difficult. But you know, for all of us, one of the best places we can develop this muscle is in the local church. You know, we say it often, but everything we do in this community, midweek, here on a Sunday, is made possible by our community being willing to serve. Whether it's serving the homeless or families in need throughout the the city during the week. Whether it's serving our kids and youth on a Sunday morning or on evenings during the week. Whether it's being the people on the setup team who often are the first ones in church putting out the chairs. Going around setting up the kids' rooms so that we can come and meet together. Totally unseen, totally unglamorous. It's the small group leaders opening their home again. It's the person, James did an amazing job at unpacking this. He called them the heroes of our church. They're serving in the unseen when he talked a couple of weeks ago. The way that we serve in the local church is the way that we learn to develop this muscle. Now look, as I've said, this is so much bigger than just serving on a team, but it is also serving on a team. And you know what? If this is your church, if you would call this home, and right now you're not serving on a team, I think that Jesus would be offering you an invitation and a challenge this evening. And he'd be saying to you, I have set you an example. Would you be willing to join me and humble yourself and serve? Not with any pressure, not with any guilt, because when you look through the Gospels, Jesus has this amazing way of asking these challenging questions and giving a challenging invitation without there being pressure or guilt. 
but he just invites and says, hey, will you join me? Would you follow my example? The reality is serving is always going to cost us. Whether it's our time, whether it's our money, maybe it's our pride, there's always a cost to it. We can never get away from that. But you see, because it's a heart issue, because it's a character issue, I actually think that not serving is going to cost you more. Because if you don't serve, sure, you might have a bit more time this week. But over the course of, of, of weeks and months, I've seen it in so many people. Your heart just begins to grow more selfish. It begins to grow colder to the issues of the vulnerable, to the issues of those in need. We begin to think that we're more important than we really are. So what does it look like for us? What does it look like to take this away and go, Jesus, I want to follow your example? Now, I'm aware there'll be many of us in the room who do serve loads, who get it, and are like, yes, I'm, I'm the person who tries to follow Jesus' example in every area of my life, and that is amazing. If that is you, you are reflecting the heart of God. And what I would say, my challenge and my invitation for you would be, recognize this as a discipleship issue and invite others along on the journey. You know what, if this, is some, if this is an area of discipleship to Jesus that you thrive in, bring other people along and help them thrive in it. Look at your friends and, and see the ones who maybe don't do it quite so naturally. Invite them to join the team that you're on. In, invite them to come round whilst you just clear up your house and ask them to help. Just bring them into those environments. Take... <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> But invite them into environments where they can begin to serve, where they can begin to see you serving. Don't just sit there and go, well, that person's so selfish. Help them out of that moment. But there will be those of us who find this really tough. Who Maybe it's our our independence, as I was saying, or our self-importance. And actually, we need to take encouragement from the fact that this is an example that we follow. We need to remind ourselves of that example of the, the, the craftsman and go, you know what, I'm an apprentice to Jesus. I'm going to begin and I might really suck at this, but I'm going to take my first step. And it might be really messy. And it, you know what the reality is? It's going to be a real choice. Serving is still a real choice. Now, kind of 15 years on into really following Jesus. There are moments where I'm like, I don't want to stay late and clear up. Okay, Lord, but I will. See, it is always a choice. And maybe for you, as you begin this journey of recognizing your your selfishness and laying it down before Jesus, it's going to be painful, it's going to be costly, it's going to be messy, but you just have to take those first steps. And over the course of the coming weeks and months, as you step into it more and more and more, you'll find your heart beginning to shift in the presence of Jesus. So what does it look like for you? Maybe it's to sign up for a team. Maybe you've never got around to it. Maybe it's to think about in your workplace or your uni or your house, how can you serve? What is the, what's a menial task that you could do that's really unglamorous, that isn't really going to get any glory, but it's going to really humble you? And do that this week. You know what? I, <clears throat> I also just want to touch on something that I see quite a lot in the younger generation in the church. So I have the privilege, um, obviously I, I lead you guys here in the evening, but I have a, I have a role across the whole church and so I get to um, kind of hang out with people of all ages. And I see something particularly in the younger generation, which if, you, if you'll allow me to kind of challenge us a bit, I would love to do that. We have leaned really heavily into rest and Sabbath and emotional well-being. 
And it has been really, really good and really fruitful across the whole Western church over the last four or five years. There's been a heavy lean in. There have been some amazing books that have come out of it. Pete Scazzaro's Emotionally Healthy Spirituality and then his follow-up book, Emotionally Healthy Leader. We use them as a staff team. We use them in our leadership year. John Mark Comer's The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Things that are really, uh, really, really impacting and influencing our generation. I just, one thing that I just want to speak into it is, how, is that we would always remember the context in which that's written. Both Coma and Schizera and a lot of that work has come out of people who are workaholics and utterly burnt out. You know, Pete Schizera had like three burnouts over the course of like 20, 30 years because he was a workaholic. And, and, and what's happened is they've reacted from that and written these amazing books that have helped us readdress and, and understand the place of rest and the importance of Sabbath. And those things, like Sabbath is a biblical command. We should be doing it. But the rhythm of Sabbath is one day rest, six day work. And you know what I've seen in, in some of, especially our younger generation, is this reticence to work this reticence to serve, this, oh, I just need to rest. I just need more time with Jesus. And you know what? In some seasons, you absolutely do. And so please hear me with some grace in this because sometimes you do just need to step, take a step back. You are close to burnout. You need to have a season where the Lord just leads you by still waters and lays you down in green pastures, as it says in Psalm 23, and he restores your soul. Absolutely. But you know what? What I've seen is a tendency to step back from serving in our generation to take a step back from responsibility in our generation, to fear the, the weight of responsibility. Can I share that most preachers I write, I love preach writing. It's probably my favorite thing to do. And often my rhythm is that Friday is, is, is my preach writing day. And so normally on the Friday before a Sunday, I'm preparing for a preach. And about 2 p.m., most Fridays, I get to a point where I'm like, Lord, why have you asked me to do this? I have no idea what I'm going to say. Like, I don't feel like I've got anything to say to this group of people. Why have you put this stress upon my soul? I just want to have a nice weekend. I want to go out with my wife this evening, see a movie. I want to watch the sports tomorrow and not have this overlying, uh, underlying stress and burden that I've got to get up in front of a few hundred people on Sunday and share your word. That's natural when you have responsibility. That's natural when the Lord asks something of you that costs you. And the danger is that I've seen in our generation, not just within the church, I think across our whole generation, and I think it's a big part of the mental health crisis that we see, is that people feel that stress, feel that like the, the tension of responsibility, and they step back and go, well, okay, it must not be good for me. It must not be good for me because I, I need to feel happy. I need to feel rested. I need to feel... No, you know what? Sometimes actually you have to step through the stress. You have to step through. You have to go, no, I'm going to turn up again. I'm going to turn up again. You know what? This is going to be costly, but I'm going to wake up and I'm going to make it happen. Because we find it's more blessed to give than to receive. And we find that when we lose our lives, we find them. Now look, please hear me with some grace in that because it's not all of the time. And you might be here and you might just need to take a step back. But it's something I have seen over the last few years, a, a, a trend, not just, in our, not just in our church. This is more of like a kind of a cultural statement. And I think that we have a moment where we can readdress that, where we can stand up and go, Jesus, you know, I'm all in. I want to lay down my life for you. It's going to be costly. 
There is a cost to following Jesus. It costs us everything. That is like, following Jesus isn't a nice thing. Sorry if you thought it was. Like it will cost you everything. It will cost you your finances, your pride, your time, your self-ambition. It will cost you your dreams. But in it, you will also find life to the full. You will find what you have really made to do. You will find who you were made to commune with. And you will find intimacy that you never dreamed possible. It is all on offer in, in Jesus, in his presence. But it will cost you everything. And sometimes we don't like the cost. And our generation likes to step away from the cost. But what would it be for us to be culture carriers, to set the culture, to show people what it's like to serve again, to be tired but say, I'll still serve. Say, I'm not going to get knocked out of this race. I'm going to get back in. Hey, you know what? Yeah, I've had a long day. But right now, you need someone to pray for you. I would love to pray for you. I'm going to choose to be present in this moment. I wasn't expecting to go that harsh. I apologize. You know what? Wherever we are at on this journey, I believe that Jesus is standing before us and asking us to follow his example. He's asking us to serve those around us, asking us to humble ourselves, to not think of ourselves as more important than we are, to actually think of others as more important than us and to serve them. I'd love to finish just by reading the words of Alan Scott, who was the pastor I mentioned earlier, from his book, Scattered Servants. He says this. It's a bit of a long quote, but I think it's just beautiful. And we're going to finish with it. So it says this. Jesus then sent the early followers as scattered servants to the uttermost parts of the earth. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you, Jesus spoke. And when Jesus spoke the word, so I send you, he was commissioning them, and by extension us, to operate with the same authority and assignment as he had. His assignment was not a mystery. His assignment was to bring life. We know this because he told us, I have come so that you might have life, John 10.10. But life doesn't come until someone is sent. This is why throughout the scriptures, people are sent. And we are sent the same way as Jesus himself was sent. In glory, authority, humility, and vulnerability. The church is the group of people being sent to bring life to cities and regions and nations. God doesn't send the lost into the church. He sends the found into the world. And now in response to the brokenness all around, he sends us. Almighty God has made a promise to the city and to the broken. It's called the church. The church is not only the gathered environment as we meet here on Sunday. It's the sent, scattered servants, us in our everyday lives. Everyone, everywhere, every day. As a result, the church at its best is not sitting asking God to unleash hope to hurting hearts. The church is at its best when it knows it has been sent by God to unleash hope in hurting hearts. God always answers the cries and the longings of hurting humanity with the words, so I send you. And I believe that Jesus is saying that to us this evening. So I send you. Would you follow my example? Why don't we stand? Thanks so much for joining us. Remember you can tune in to our YouTube channel on Sundays from 10.30 for our online church or connect with us through Facebook and Instagram to hear from us throughout the week. 
We would love to help you find out more about Jesus or grow in your faith. So if you have any questions, get in touch on social media or email info at cardiffvineyard.org. If you're local to Cardiff, we would love for you to get involved in a small group, which is just a small group of people meeting throughout the week across the city. Of course, meeting online at the moment. They are the heartbeat of this church, and now more than ever at this time of social distancing, they are so important for you to stay connected to church and grow in your faith. Head to our website, cardiffvineyard.org, and hit the small groups tab at the top of the page to find out more. If you're listening from further afield, thanks so much for tuning in. We're really glad you're here. But we would also love to help you get connected with a local church where you are. So email us at info at cardiffvineyard.org and we would love to help. Thanks again for tuning in this week. Have a great week and we'll see you next time.